Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Ava Benesaki. And she is the Chief Executive Officer at CPI Capital. And she was able to become one of the youngest award-winning top agents at Remax. And over two years ago, she's relocated to Vancouver. And she's also built strong community connections, networking with real estate professionals, and constantly pursuing knowledge in the real estate field has really given her the experience she needed to succeed. So Ava, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thanks, Eileen. So happy to be here. I'm doing fabulous. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. So Ava, can you give us a little bit more of an insight into your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started my real estate career over a decade ago, how time flies when I was 22 years old in a small city here. I actually live here in Canada, moving to the US. We'll get into that shortly, but in a small city where everybody kind of knew, liked and trusted me. So I was able to really uh, take off my career and do pretty well from the very beginning. As I was doing well in my small town, fast forward, maybe I think seven years and then I decided to pit, move to the bigger city to sell real estate in Vancouver City. And that's currently where I live right now. The world really works in mysterious ways. And I ended up meeting my partner, my current partner today. And I pivoted to real estate private equity about three and a half years ago now, where I'm full-time. I'm the CEO and co-founder of CPI Capital. And our mandate is really to partner with limited partners as our passive investors to acquire institutional multifamily assets across the Sunbelt states. So currently right now, that's what we're up to. That's a little bit about my background. So are you investing anything in Canada and in the Vancouver market or is it in a lot of it's in the U.S.? You know what, Eileen, the Canadian market, the rent to value ratios are quite low here. I actually don't invest in Canada whatsoever. Uh, we stopped investing in Canada in 2018 and we're solely focused on the U.S. now. To put it into perspective here in Vancouver, average home price is $1.7 million. A condo you can get for $700,000 rented out for roughly $2,000 a month. As opposed to the U.S., we all know the rent to value ratios there. There's something called the 1% rule. So we're all trying to achieve that 1% rule. And in Vancouver, we're getting about 0.2, maybe 0.25% for the rent-to-value ratios. So we're solely focused on the U.S., but Canadians love U.S. real estate. They all want to get their hands on U.S. real estate. Canada's pension plan actually partnered with Graystar, and there's billions of dollars being deployed from Canada every year to go to the U.S. So I'm one of those people who have shifted from the Canadian market to solely focus on real estate in the U.S. because there's just so much greater opportunity. When you were with Remax, were you primarily selling in the Vancouver market in Canada before you decided to start investing in the US? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So when deciding to starting to invest in the United States, you know, being Canadian, what were some of the things that you had to kind of get set up in terms of entities, being a foreign investor coming to the US that you had to get all in place and in line before you can start placing capital here? Yeah, so for Canadians investing across borders, it can be quite complex 
comprehensive, a little bit confusing. A lot of the terminology that is used in the U.S., like offering memorandum or you know some of the tax benefits, it does not. It's not the same here in Canada. So we really started off with really educating ourselves on cross-border taxation um, and really figuring out the terminology and, and different things. Um, especially accreditation is a little bit different as well. So we really started educating ourselves. We did go through about 20 to 30 accountants and lawyers trying to find the best person to work with uh, because they were all saying something different. So we went through quite the whirlwind getting started when it comes to investing across borders as international investors. Um, But I will say now we've really cracked the code and we are probably one of the leading companies that have has figured out the tax solutions when it comes to Canadians investing across borders, um, relieving you know ourselves from double taxation, um, relieving ourselves from having to file to the IRS, relieving ourselves from investing in USD dollars. So now Canadians really have this streamlined process of being able to get their hands on US real estate, which the yields are much higher, but not having to deal with all that headache that's involved. So for Canadians, if they're looking to get invested in the U.S., especially as a first-time investor, if they don't have entities set up, they don't have a vehicle to invest, what does the time period look like to get all that set up prior to investing in your first deal? So believe it or not, we've actually, we're actually launching our Canadian fund in probably end of May, and they simply can invest as an individual or through their corporation, and they simply invest in Canadian dollars into our fund. Um, so there's really no time frame. It's a very streamlined process, um, pretty much a click of the button. I mean, we've really streamlined it where they can log in online to our offerings, and they can click a button and really go through it. Um, they just have to go through the accreditation process if that particular offering is for accredited investors only, which only takes a few days um, to really get yourself accredited. So again, it's not it's not a long process. We went through the long process trying to figure everything out for everybody. So now it's just very streamlined for Canadians. When you're looking to purchase and looking for opportunities here in the Sunbelt states that you mentioned, what was your criteria or what are some of the things that you were looking for in terms of deals and the types of assets you were looking to acquire? Yeah, so we really wanted to focus on institutional multifamily garden style class A, class B assets that had a light value add component. So uh, lipstick renovations, somewhere where we can come in there and, and really just kind of change the appliances, flooring, maybe countertops, maybe it's ideal to find a property where you can add a washer and dryer. So that's always a, a home run when you can find a property like that. Um, but really institutional. And what I mean by institutional is 100 doors plus. And then in regions that show significant growth metrics, such as job growth, job growth, population growth, income growth, and rental growth. Um, so we really kind of are data driven. So we really followed the numbers of, you know, interstate migration happening from Cal- California and New York, where are people moving, where are fortune 500 companies going and where jobs are people follow. Um, so that's really how we started investing across borders is by really diving into the numbers and creating relationships with people who were boots on the ground as well. Well, we formed our relationships over the last few years. Has it been challenging coming from an international, from Canada, and starting to establish yourself in the U.S. market, especially in the beginning, early stages, when you're still competing with other um, U.S. operators in the space? 
It's a very good question. Um, you know how there's this chicken or the egg first, <laughs> you know, there's that saying, is this chicken or the egg? Or, um, do you find the, you know, if you find a good deal will the money come or do you have to have money first and then find the deal? We started very different from most people, particularly because we're international and, and we didn't have our headquarters set up somewhere and we didn't have our systems and processes set up in the United States, but we knew that we wanted to get our hands on this amazing real estate. So what we did, Eileen, is we actually started building an educational platform here in Canada, educating investors on the Canadian side first on how this whole process of passive investing works and the syndication, what is syndication, how does everything work? And we did that for about a year and a half, building our investor community so that we could feel like we could click a button and raise equity like that for when we brought our first institutional deal to the table. Now, people go, okay, well, that's very confident to want to do an institutional deal your first time. Most people start off with a 10 unit, even a 20 unit, or even a four unit. We're like, no, we want to bring a hundred plus unit. So how did we achieve that? We achieved that by spending a lot of time finding out who we could partner with on our first deal, an experienced operator who had the systems and processes in place, who had what it took to, you know, compete in the competitive market that we were in when we started in 2021. And that's really how we got our first deal done. It was a large deal. Uh, we were able to bring on lots of international capital and we partnered with a superstar operator to then be able to, to take down our first deal, which gained momentum for us because investors seen that we closed on this beautiful resort style, multifamily 350 unit asset, and they wanted to get their hands on the next one that we presented when we did it again. So that's really how we started by leveraging somebody else's experience to learn from them. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. When you're partnering with other operators in the space, does the deal itself have to be set up specifically to accept international funds into that opportunity? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. The entity that owns the asset is created first and then investors, you know, once a subscription agreement and the limited partnership agreement are formed, investors then subscribe to that limited partnership. That is the entity that really owns the asset. For Canadians, especially, what types of, I know you talked about the returns in the Canadian market and how you're not really able to get much of the cash flow. When you're looking for investment opportunities in the US, what are some of the return metrics that are on average you're seeing or that is kind of an average returns that Canadians are looking for, or at least seem more positive than what you're getting in the Canadian market. Canadians are very happy with a five to six to 7% average annualized return. 
So one of the biggest hurdles that we faced when we started our company, coming to the table with 15 to 20% average annualized returns, most Canadians thought it was too good to be true. <laughs> and this is a real story. Um, you know, when they think it's too good to be true, they think it might be a little bit scammy at first. So that's where we really had to prove ourselves and develop trust with a lot of investors. And then once they started understanding the business model, they got it. But yeah, Canadians are very, very happy with that, you know, six, seven percent average annualized return. And that's just their their appetite. Was there any hurdles also, especially as first time investors in Canada who are looking to like even in the US, there's already a hurdle to get over the fact of investing out side of your home state into outside of the states. This is talking about internationally investing into other markets where they're not familiar with. What kind of hurdles did you have to go over and how did you combat that part of it? Yeah, Canadians are very conservative people. They're really, you know, they don't like to take risks. So it took a lot of educating. Um, so that's where we started mostly taking our time to send out weekly emails that were educational so they can really understand the business model. You know, Warren Buffett says, never invest in a business you don't understand. That's Canadians by far. They're like, if I don't understand it, I'm running. So it was really about just educating them, making them feel like they were supported, being part of an investor community, and then being available. Constant communication and always being available to answer any questions. And that was really how, and you know what, to be honest with you, Eileen, I mean, having calls with a Canadian investor four or five times is not unrealistic. You know, Americans are like one call, they're like, what's the minimum investment? I'm like 50 grand. They're like, I'll do a hundred. You know, they're so excited about it and, and they just understand it a little bit more, but that's rightfully so. I mean, cross-border investing is definitely um, something that takes time to understand. What were some of the educational platforms and educational content that had helped your investors get acclimated to syndications and investing outside of their home country? Yeah. Yeah. So we also run a podcast. It's called Real Estate Investing Demystified. We don't have as many shows as you guys have made so far. I think we're at 160 or something like that, but you guys have something like 600. So again, congrats to you. I was telling you how impressed I'm like how impressing that is before our show started, but we started this podcast and we started sending out the episodes and we brought on tax accountant, you know, cross-border taxation, cross-border accountants. We brought on lawyers, tax lawyers. We brought on other syndicators. We brought on a bunch of people so that they can really just hear what's going on and learn some golden nuggets along the way. Alongside my partner, August Biniaz, he actually writes a weekly newsletter that's very educational for investors to understand certain things like what is a capital stack or what is a preferred return or what is this terminology that we all use in this space. And investors are like, well, I don't know what that is. So it's nice to be able to just kind of copy the link to the blog, send it to them, and then they can get it, you know, wrap their heads around what everything means on like a four minute read. And in terms of the partnerships for the U.S. operators that you're working with, what kinds of characteristics or, you know, certain values and things within their own firms that align with what you guys are doing when you're looking for partnership opportunities? Yeah, that's a great question. So full disclosure, we are no longer partnering anymore. So again, what we did was we, from day one, when we started our firm, the goal was to be an operational real estate private equity firm and not to partner. But again, we all have to start somewhere, right? So we really look for people who had a certain amount of track record, who have actually closed, did a full cycle on a number of deals, who had amazing investor testimonials and who really had their books in, in line, knowing how organized they were and everything else. So those are some characteristics that we had. They're really 
really a big family to us now. And now we're excited to say that we're the lead operating partner. Fast forward three years now, we've been in business for about three and a half years, but yeah, that's kind of what we were looking for. So Ava, as you're moving forward and you're looking for more investment opportunities, and especially right now in the marketplace in the US, and I'm not even sure how this is impacting Canada, but for us, the interest rates and everything like that have been increased and the market has been so volatile. Has that impacted the way that you strategize your investment firm and what you're looking for for real estate opportunities, especially in Canada? Yeah, yeah. So we've actually, you know, my team, we're boutique real estate investment firm. So we don't have to do a deal just to keep the lights on, right? You got these big firms, they have so many employees, they have so many expenses and they have to you know, keep some money coming in. We don't have to do a deal just to do the deal. So since the interest rates have hiked, you know, substantially, we ended up actually walking away from a deal that we were working on for quite a while and invested lots of capital in. Uh, we went for a retrade price reduction and we couldn't get that price reduction. So we actually ended up walking away from the deal. And internally, the leadership team said, you know what, why don't we wait till interest rates cool down? before we go taking on another deal. Cause there's so many different factors. Um, you know, the economic environment that we're in, we just feel let's wait on the sideline. I'm sure like many, of course, like I think there's billions of dollars of dry powder waiting on the sideline right now, uh, getting ready to deploy the capital, but it affected us that way as, as in we are still underwriting deals, but none of them are penciling out to the fact where we're going to take down a deal right now. So we're excited that 25 basis points was the last raise, I think like two days ago. So hopefully we'll see some reduction in that and then we'll, we'll really get serious and more excited to kind of jump back into the market again. So that's kind of what we're, we're doing on the sideline right now. And another thing that my team has decided is that we might just start focusing on one market. We are have a diversified portfolio right now, but we're going to probably just focus on one target market. And we're thinking that market's going to be Florida. We are actually moving to Florida in the next month. So goodbye, Canada and hello, USA. <laughs> that is an exciting move, first of all, to just move from Canada into the Florida market where you guys are going to focus on. But why Florida? You know, Florida just shows so many growth metrics. Uh, a lot of people are flocking there. Canadians actually love Florida. So a lot of people come from Canada, the snowbirds, we call them. They want to get away from the snow here in Canada and they want to go uh, live in Florida for half the year, um, for six months out of the year, just to get, get away from, from that. But yeah, it seems like, you know, if you're looking at all of these reports that are sent out, a lot of the time Florida is on the top five places to invest in. So we just, again, follow that data and we're really going to pinpoint uh, down the places that we'll just focus on buying. So that's a little bit about why we would love Florida. There's so many great other markets, to be honest with you, but I feel like you look at syndication firms that have really, you know, they've went on a total bull run. They've really focused on one region and then they've just Everybody knows them. The brokers know them. They're everywhere. They're seen everywhere. So they really have established themselves in that region. And then they can, you know, take on the next region when, if they even need to take on another region. So Eva, how has real estate investing impacted your life? It's impacted my life in many ways. I would have to say that maybe it's impacted my life in a way that I feel that I have lots of purpose because I'm impacting so many other people's lives, I guess now about educating and getting people to invest so they can free up more time. So it's impacted my life a lot by helping others. I think I would have to say. 
And if there's one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Okay. When I first started real estate, I never knew of this concept of passive investing, which was just absolutely mind blowing. And I never knew about syndications and I never knew about syndications across borders where you can make these substantial returns. So if I would have known about that a lot sooner, I mean, 10 years ago, I mean, the sky's the limit. I, who knows where, where I'd be today. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Ooh, I would have to say people who are able to build out a team, people who understand what they're good at and they bring on other people to manage the things that that they're not so good at. So there's a book called Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. And it's like this master, you, you kind of become a master of delegation. And that's really where I see companies take off. When I first started my firm, I was, you know, I'm like, I'm CEO, I have to wear all these hats and I have to do everything and all this stuff. And I just realized like, no, I don't have to do everything, you know, bring on people who are superstars at what they do. And I feel like I've seen it actually, many, many syndicators that I look up to, they just have these superstar teams that they built. And I believe that is the foundation to success. And so Ava, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? So I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me Ava Benasaki. My website is cpicapital.ca. Uh, fire me an email or connect with us on our YouTube show, Real Estate Investing Demystified. And yeah, I would love to keep the conversation going. Awesome. Ava, thank you so much for all of your time today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show. I yeah, really appreciate it too. And have a great day, everybody. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.